everybody. Welcome back to What's Base up? Podcast. And I think we're on 12. I don't know. I, I think it's 12. No hard evidence. For we this. do this at the beginning of every one of We them have now. to try to recount where we are. <laughs> uh, but today we've got a great uh, special guest, new friend of ours, uh, Park. What's going on, Park? Hello, everybody. How's it going? Hey, so uh, Park is from Colony House, owner of Brothers Studios. Uh, man, what's going on? What's, Nashville, what's Tennessee, doing? right? Uh, yes, in uh, in sweet, balmy Nashville, Tennessee, as it feels balmy. right now. I, wh- where are you guys? I, I'm, I'm blanking. We're in Lexington, Kentucky. That's right. That's right. That's right. Just a little bit, a little bit north, a little bit east, and one time zone before. Yeah, How, the time uh, zone is annoying, but besides that, it's fine. I, yeah, I it's get good. that time zones <laughs> vibe. Um, how is the weather there right now? Because here it feels like we're we're edging on summer, like already. Same. It's kind of crazy. We're Same. there, but we still got nice nights. It's not like obliterate you sweating at 9 p.m. So yeah. we're not it's, there yet. It's okay for now. We'll see how it goes. It's it's like cool mornings and cool evenings, which in my opinion is like, can't really get any better than that. And not, not too crazy hot. So anyway, that's, that's I say balmy. <laughs> balmy. It's very, very, sp- it, I'm just, we're just yeah. in the thick of spring and I love it. Mowing yeah. grass, yard yeah. work, it's the best. Yeah, balmy. I'll put that in the in the word book to use later. So I I'll, feel like we're, we're always like, two or three degrees cooler than Nashville, even though we're, mm-hmm. you know, within three and a half hours ish. seems like it's just a little less. And then like in the winter, we're going to get a lot more snow than you. Um, Got it. But in the summer when Nashville's like hot, 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 uh-huh. we're, uh-huh. we're really hot too, but not, you know, yeah. not maybe not to the extreme that you guys get. Nashville gets pretty gnarly. It does. Yeah. But that's the fun, right? That's the exactly. fun. Yeah. That's He's the right. fun. Well, man, uh, I I feel like uh, let's let's get into it, man. Where you been lately? Where you guys been playing? You you all have been doing a huge like nationwide. Uh, are you or you are you staying in like the in the the contiguous forty eight, or were you guys outside you know, of that? You could Canada, Mexico, contiguous forty eight. We did. Like we added after the tour. So yeah, we just wrapped up a headline tour, uh, the mm-hmm. Cannonballers tour for the so record. Awesome. Cannonballers. Yep. It was awesome. First time playing in Lexington. Um, That's right. And it, we had, were there, you guys. Right? It was great. We had a great time. It was, uh, was it Manchester Music Hall? That yes, sir. Was awesome. Yes, sir. Um, so we, it was pretty, we, we announced the tour. We started selling tickets. And then very close to the tour, uh, like starting, we added a date in Toronto. And that was the, the last date that we did, which was nice. this past weekend. Um. Which was awesome. Um, an, another, another great show. We've every time we play Canada, we always have a good time. They're just so incredibly kind. Um, mm. and That's what they say. It's it's true. It's true. Can confirm. Uh, so yeah, we. Uh, I think it was thirty five shows total. Which nice. Uh, nice. It's funny. We were we were joking about how. Every year we try and get a little bit better about not playing as many friggin' shows. We uh <laughs> on so the when I was younger tour, which is when I hopped on board back in 2014, I think there was 50 something shows on that tour. Uh and progressively like we've it. been just going. Just nice. I mean, not coming home. Granted, those earlier days, like all we knew what to do was tour. So it was like, mm-hmm. you want to go on tour mm-hmm. with them? Yep, let's go. And, you know, we averaged for, I think, like 2015 and 16, we were gone like 200 days a year, like something like that. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, in hindsight, you got to do what you got to do. But yeah, man. Yeah. Now That's that we all work. have kids too, it's like kind of got to like 
cut back on the shows a little bit. So yeah. And uh, that's going to be a healthier lifestyle for you too. Precisely. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you kind of anyway, always do the right. groundwork. Yes. Yes. You're right. Hey, uh, random. Since you mentioned it, I've got a gig that, uh, potential gig that is going to be in Toronto. What was that? like border crossing experience like i assume you have to have a passport like what what do you have to go through to do that i've never experienced the international travel for music thing you know it depends uh it depends totally on the people like the border agents um so Mm. uh every time that i've done a border crossing it's been relatively chill okay what can happen is well Depending on how big the show is or how, you know, if it's bus, fan, trailer, how much gear you got, yada, yada, you got to have a manifest uh, like, you know, listing out everything that you're bringing in, the value of everything, like, and I mean everything. Um, Mm. The thing that can get tricky is with merch because the tax, I forget what the tax law thing is, but basically you can get screwed if you like, (laughs) like, for instance, let's say we started this tour uh in toronto and we mm-hmm. had like all of our merch with us it would have we would have paid out the wazoo uh mm-hmm. so what a lot of bands do is they'll book a hotel room right at the border and they'll literally just drop the majority of their merch into a hotel room and just take what they need for that one show oh because wow. of tax purposes really so you're um, taxed on everything you would want to bring like potential sell that's items. that import tax everything baby. that you would put i i think it's like every uh the potential let me think about this. It's like if you have X amount of merchandise that you're going to sell on their on on Canada's soil, sovereign they land, take a cut of that. And I think it's, I think it's, I th- I forget what the the cut is, but it's like not it's not good for it's artists. Wacko. So yeah. you kind of just like take only what you need. Yeah, interesting. Um, so like that's a little trick of the trade. And then that is great. I would have, have never like thought about that. Yes, yes. Uh, manifest just with everything that you're bringing in. Now, I say it depends on the border agent. Uh, if they're chill, nine times out of ten, like, you know, there and back, uh, we just had to, well, we flew into Toronto, so we didn't have to do this. But the guys That's on the great. bus, the crew, at like, you know, middle middle of the night, get to the border. And usually they just ask you to get off the bus. They have, you know, they'll look at the passport, make sure that, it, you know, Okay, there's the guy right there. You look like him. What are you mm-hmm. do, What are you doing in Canada? Playing a show? Okay, see ya. But if you get if you get <laughs> the bad egg who's had not a great day or a great mm-hmm. night, they may make you dump the entire trailer and go through literally every single piece of gear. Oh, uh, I guess. that's happened. So uh, our buddy Troy, who did lights for us at the Toronto show, he's toured with a ton of different bands, and he was on. He was used to play drums for Judah and the Lion, and I think he was saying that it was with them that there was one, one time they were crossing the border, and yeah, the agent made them dump the entire trailer, and they had to go through everything. And it's like it's always at like three in the morning or whatever. Uh, absolutely, yeah, it can't um, be at a good time. No, it's never at a good time. Um, again, I've only had chill experiences, so yeah, just nice. as long I as realize you you're got not all your ducks in a row, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I realize you're not the authority on 
the, uh, we didn't warn you that you, <laughs> we were going to ask you about Canadian border crossings. Yeah. When you're talking about Luckily, the manifesto, I just went it, so. yeah, on the manifesto thing, I mean, are you talking about like every single pin in your backpack, like that specific? Mainly uh, just like the the gear, like I mean, every cable, uh, every pedal, every pedal, every every pedal, yeah, yeah. amp, guitar, mm, nice and. If, if you have like serial numbers for everything too that looks better like Shit. i mean imagine be, imagine you are the border agent and you know are these guys actually musicians or are they you know trying to smuggle something across the border the big You've question got serial numbers for literally 300 like items that yeah. you are unfamiliar with but it's like well i recognize fender these guys are probably musicians you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah that's so yeah. interesting it's wow. it's crazy and and again I'm happy to let our tour manager handle all those details, but like uh, yeah, the first few times that we crossed when it was just like the four of us plus our old tour manager and we were having to like do all this stuff ourselves. It was like, Whoa, it can get, it's exhausting, but yeah. I will say for the amount of work that it takes to cross the border, it's worth it. Like those sure. shows, they're always, they always go off. Vancouver's nice. tight. Calgary's absolutely beautiful sheesh that's i mean we could spend this whole podcast talking about canada if you want i'm fine right yeah Yeah, let's go but that's a great pivot point to talk about what we're actually here to talk about (laughs) is bass guitar baby (laughs) the bass (laughs) yeah dude so i guess when i saw you come through town i saw a whole lot of p bass as the regular is that true Mm. does that still ring true that's home base for you well you know it's it's funny uh i have always 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 been p bass kind of only um Mm -hmm. i had a I forget what model it was. I got a jazz bass back in like 2017, 2018. The problem with jazz basses historically for me has been they're always way too bright. And the I just always was missing the sound that a P bass got me. And so this tour and this album, I've, I've become a changed man. Uh, oh, so our, our producer, Chad Copeland, epic dude out in Oklahoma, um he had this it's nothing like it's honestly not like anything crazy uh it's just a made in japan late 90s early 2000s um jazz bass the jb62 reissue which i mean there's like a million versions of the jb62 reissue but for whatever reason his which again made in japan there was just something about it. it like it had um it had a vibe that just worked with all these tunes on the cannonballers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you do after you make an album, the different, you know, trinkets uh, that were used in the making of it, you're like, well, I should probably go get some of those. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I was scouring reverb and wound up copping this uh, uh, pretty much the exact same one that the chat had. It's different nice. color black. Um Beautiful. Like, got it right here. Bye. This guy right here. Oh, yeah. very, very nice. Simple, very basic. Um, Pun intended. However, wow. I'm assuming I can't hear you because I don't have my headphones in, but I'm assuming that the uh, we it's already been uh, talked about on this podcast when you say the word basic, bass. 
Pun intended. Yeah, no. Okay. okay yeah. Okay. Oh, we're killing. Uh, <laughs> we're on the nose, baby. <laughs> on the nose. Just pew. Um, yeah. So I I got that that jazz bass, and it's been kind of game changing for me. Beautiful. An- nice. Another aspect that makes it game changing because it's still it's still a bright boy. Mm-hmm. It is uh, put flats on it, but not just any flat wounds. Mm-hmm. To math sticks so oh uh, yeah nice it's what what's his face uses pino pino Paladino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh we've heard so, of him. <laughs> oh that guy yeah it was uh i a friend actually who got the signature uh pino base he didn't really like the domestics he preferred mm-hmm. but i forget what brand he prefers and he was like do you want these and i was like yes yeah so they had actually been living on another base a veritas uh kind of uh, one-off custom 503 sure. base that I have. Uh-huh. And uh, it was vibing on that. And then when I got this jazz bass, I was just like, hmm, let's see how this works. And yeah. it's, it's kind of, uh, there's actually only two songs on the, uh, in the set from this past tour that I played on the P bass, um, oh, nice. which was, oh yeah, and 220. Everything else, I was just chilling on the J bass. And nice. Wow. Yeah, very monumental for me. It was, uh-huh. it was uh, I was definitely carving out for myself a very particular sound with my P bass and the the pedals that I had kind of worked. But a lot of things changed on this tour with my with my whole setup, not just bass, but like pedals and everything else. Yeah. yeah. So I saw on the tour that you were also playing a good bit of like uh, keys with you, um, and yes. I did not get a close look at that. Is that key stuff, or are you playing like synth based stuff? So both, uh, nice. we have, um, what is it? Uh, the Nord Electro 6D, um, which on back in 2020 for the Leave What's Lost Behind tour that got cut short because of COVID, uh, when we were, um, I guess we got it right before that tour, the, the Nord, and we were like, this thing is red. Why doesn't Nord make something that's not red? <laughs> so we literally white gaffed every bit of red that we could possibly find no awesome um and then uh and then 2021 tour we did we just like doodled on it and it looked kind of janky but kind of cool from a distance yeah and then for this tour we also we got um i'm pretty don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure sequential audio dave smith uh r.i.p the last uh, synth that he worked on is called the Trigon Six, and that's the synth that we got. Um, nice for for this tour, and you know, till the end of time. So I had you know, Nord on bottom, uh, Trigon on top, which nice. we we've we've we now call the Trigon the Trogdor. I don't know if y'all are familiar Trogdor. with Homestar Runner. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, good, good. Um, so Trogdor on top, Nord on bottom, and yeah, a, a few songs. I wasn't even playing bass. I was just doing synth bass and, and key stuff, which is honestly a lot of fun. I was nervous because I'm used to having a bass in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I like uh, piano was my first instrument. So like you would think, you know, I'd feel comfortable, but there's just something about being on stage and like just doing this that it felt weird at first, but then it, it all worked out. So, the, nice. but the Trogdor, you should check out the Trogdor. There's a, a it's insane, dude. Like, like the quality of those synths unmatched. It's insane. That's awesome. Right on. Okay, cool. The first time I got synth envy was from a, a Dave Smith or sequential prophet. That was the first time I've ever been like, I care about how the synthesizer sounds. 
This yes. has maybe changed me. Uh-huh. That's that's it's on that like studio bucket list of like yeah. things I really want to have around. Yes, um, absolutely. To to pivot back to your recording thing, did your producer uh, were you recording on flats for the record as well? And what was that signal chain like? Um, we did. I don't think his had flats on it. His were just like really really dead round wounds. Yeah, um, that's typically my go to. The poor man's flats too. Yeah, that's my go to. Uh, right before in rehearsals for this tour, my P bass. Uh, let me think about this. My P bass had I haven't changed the strings in probably oh probably three years, and it was sounding better than it's ever sounded. And then of course, freaking <laughs> broke a string in rehearsal, and I was yeah. like, <sighs> and I didn't think about. Uh, or I had I rather I never tried, still haven't tried it, but I've heard that the trick for making new round wounds sound like old round wounds. Uh, is Vaseline? Have y'all tried that? Yeah, I uh, Nick makes fun of me. I Vaseline up my uh, my flat wounds when I get them. Vas it up. Oh, your flats. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. Wants it works that on tubby. anything. He wants that tubby tub. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, respect. I mean, I need. I still haven't tried it. I need to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I when the string when the you know string broke on my P bass, I was like, dang it. And then yeah. I found I realized, oh wait, I've got uh I've got a pair, I won't say the brand. Uh I had a just had a spare pair of bass strings from a brand that I never used. And I was like, let's try them out. Uh, and they sounded like garbage. Um <laughs> sounded right. like a freaking Coke can. It was mm. terrible. Uh so I I ordered some uh what are they called? Half rounds just uh-huh. to like see what the vibe was. Yeah. And r- I liked it. Used it cool. all, all tour. It definitely. Nice. T- I, I don't know why I still haven't tried the Vaseline trick. I just need to need to try it. Um, yeah, but it takes a couple days. Like you have to kind of do it and leave it overnight, then wipe it off in the morning, then kind of you know do it for like a week or a, f- a few days. Honestly, okay. any disgusting junk will work. Like <laughs> you could just use like lotion or Truck something. Hitch grease. Like, <laughs> Our, so uh, a producer named Brent Milligan, who also plays bass with um, Kayla and Will's dad. A yeah, lot of I know. Uh, I know of him. Oh, dude, he's awesome. He's a freak of nature at bass. Uh, yeah, absolutely slamming. Uh, we need player. to get him on. I bet he. Would, I bet he would come on. He. Uh, he would. We uh, at my college, um, Barry Blair, who was in. Um, Audio adrenaline, and he was he was up there. He produced some bleach stuff as well. He knows Brent really well, and so uh, we we kind of had this like recording school group that Brent Mm. was put in, and so it's like, oh, I can ask you questions now. Yes, (laughs) but he started posting these like videos like once a week or something. I don't know if you've seen them on on Facebook, where it's just Mm. like a riff a day thing. Oh, and even cool. watching that, I'm like, I gotta start practicing. Like I, <laughs> like I'm slacking compared to that guy. It, he's he's insane. He had this old trick where he would uh, he would put Sprite on his strings to make them dead. Like, okay, I guess all the sugar and stuff uh-huh. would just like really? kind of corrode yeah. uh, the strings. I I never tried the Sprite method, honestly. Uh, but something that I should have done is just let Caleb Chapman play the bass for approximately 30 minutes. He has 
acid fingers. Just the greasiest <laughs> hands. <laughs> it's the weirdest yeah. thing, dude. You can change the strings, and in five days, it's like, I mean, unless you just want that dead sound, like those those strings are toast. It's That's crazy. wild. <laughs> That's awesome. I, and it's, I mean, he does sweat a lot, but it's like there's something in his fingers man yeah it's the funk that's funny it's the, the finger funk yeah it's funny it's right. so it, it all ended up coming up i had bought this um p base off of off of facebook that had these old labellas and i was like yeah this is great like this is cool and then i got it and there was this really odd harmonic note thrown every time i'd hit the e string that was like not really in tune with itself so there's always this every time i would play like anything on the E string, there was just this warble until it resolved itself or left, like this overtone mm -hmm. that was thrown. So I was like, on!" So I had to put new labellas on, and he was like, we ought to rub some lotion on them. And <laughs> Don't I was, characterize my voice that way. <laughs> yeah. like, you ought to ruin those things, man. No, you totally, like, it, it works. It's great. Because it's always so heartbreaking with, like, an old flat wound string breaks. The yeah. only uh, the only strings I've ever had break have always been flat wounds. Um, mm. I actually really did not enjoy tomastics either because they're so low tension and I play yeah. really freaking hard. Yeah. Um, which Pino legend has it at least his his action's super high, so it makes sense that he's having like a low tension string for a high action. Um, but they just weren't for me, and they were also. At least at our local guitar store, like eighty I, bucks, right? I wouldn't say I paid. Now I, I could be an idiot. This before I was using Amazon, I was a little teenager, but I swear I paid over one hundred and fifty dollars for those. Oh my gosh! Hold on. I mean, we got we got to clear this up right now. To fact check, fact check. They are incredibly expensive strings. I mean, my labella's. What's labella like? Sixty bucks. Yeah, LaBelle's expensive, yeah, but, that's but like, it's not like unheard of because a good pair of rounds is like forty five. But if 50. I get if I get years out of these LaBellas, it's like yeah. worth every time. Sweetwater, Tomastic, Infeld, Jazz, Flatwound, Bass, Guitar Strings. This says eighty five. Although, depending what uh, what store did you say you went to? I do not want to name the local guitar uh, store that uh, yes. price gouges. Well, if it was the, if it was someone local, call it a center. Yeah, <laughs> I if it, <laughs> I swear that I paid over a hundred bucks for these. It's quite possible. And quite part possible. of that reason, too, I was probably mad that I saw it on Amazon later that I could be yeah. like, I could have saved a bunch of money. But they, they would also make like violin strings and stuff um, because it's the same kind of flat wound thing. But I've had, I had a period where I had flat wounds on a five string and it would just, I had two different pairs that just unraveled. And oh, the only strings I've ever had issue with are flat wounds. That doesn't mean I stop. It just seems like, Every now and then something weird goes wrong with them, which every now and then be, is like once every five years. Like yeah, it's not that bad for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, I'm lately a pretty. I, I'm a pretty big Labella convert. I I really like the tension on Labellas, uh, but that's just that's just me. I've had a pair of Labellas in the past that I I really liked. The I think one of the things, interestingly enough, maybe and maybe it's just like how it's interacting with the jazz bass. But like the low tension thing. Well, here, here's another like just nerdy situation. Love it. Working with Chad on the, the on the record. <clears throat> I've always historically used thick picks. Actually, what's it? This one right here. The 1.14. Uh, these guys. I used uh -huh. to use these exclusively, and I mean, like you can't bend them. They're heavy af. And mm -hmm. uh, whenever we started recording with him, he was like, "What pick are you using?" 
Like that was the first mm-hmm. thing whenever I was just like trying out some stuff. He's like, yeah, throw that away. Yeah. And, and get, let's get a real, a, a much thinner, thinner boy. So I'm legitimately favorite, on the same train right now. Uh, okay. So these are my current, uh, the yes! 0.73. Yes. These, it's these are all the about ones. yellow Dunlop. <laughs> it's all about yellow Dunlop. That's the um, one. The, the, the 0.60 are, are the close behind. So mm. Scott has, both of these on his mic stand for different songs, like for just honey, it's crazy. And these are definitely what Chad prefers in the studio. This is what I preferred whenever he was like, stop using such a thick pick. And uh. also, I don't know about y'all, but the way that I hold the bass, when I'm striking the string, I'm kind of going at it like at an angle, like my picks, not necessarily flat, just like, like mm. true like that. I'm kind of scraping almost down yeah um and he was like also he said stop doing that uh i want to hear just real like flat like he's he's a nerd with tone he's he's a genius he was an engineer first for years and and then started producing about 15 years ago regardless when he's playing guitar and or bass and he's a killer bass player um he it almost looks like he doesn't know what he's doing because of how he's holding it and he's like i want the, the pick to be just like right here and <laughs> nice. then sometimes on guitar like to get the just sound that he's hearing it kind of looks like he's just learning how to play guitar obviously he's not uh and so anyway converting to the yellow dunlops was big for me uh-huh. and it started making me play a lot less hard and a whole lot more like I remember when we first started rehearsing for this tour and we rehearsed for like two months. It sucked. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. Too much rehearsing. Uh, (laughs) Because I I wanted to to get away from the scratchy, scratchy, like angled Mm -hmm. five that I had been doing forever. uh, And I wanted to start implementing the just flat. And so my wrist, like my whole right arm had to get used to this whole new way of playing um and i quickly realized like i can't play quite as hard mm-hmm. okay now i need to like kind of angle my shoulder just a little bit differently like all these different things that made me realize i'm realizing now with the tomastics with the low tension i feel like if i would play like i used to play on it i would hate it but just because of totally. how, like changing the style mm-hmm. uh of my playing that like i think that's why it, i'm digging it right now but What's fun about gear and time is that I'll be on to something new, I bet, in a year or two. Exactly. I don't even know what that will be, but I'm excited. That is the, uh, that's the disease, right? Mm-hmm. That is the disease. I do want to point out that at this point, I always like to think in my mind of like how far into our podcast do they become unbelievably in the weeds. Uh, <laughs> buddy, we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're here. <laughs> uh, but it's great because this is the one place to be like, super lost in string tension and pick width yeah and looking at our analytics like now that we know that 40 percent of our listeners have turned this off welcome (laughs) welcome to the real ones that's right it's good to see you again guys glad to be here with the real ones yes dude i'm on i'm on the i'm on the thin pick thing too i like the big triangle ones because i just like like a lot of area but it's just the the fender mediums i just bought a ton of them off amazon but then fender picks i see yeah just because i don't necessarily care like i don't see uh, it sweats right out of my hand it'll shoot into space 
I will say the interesting the interesting hack for me has been a felt pick, a felt guitar pick, not the bass version. Uh, yes, mix picks. What's with big? Uh, what's with big pick pushing huge picks on bass players? <laughs> we always yeah the, the big, big pick, pick industry. industry. <laughs> I mean, it's just like why do they make you? Yeah, yeah, why do they? Why do they they're now, like, well, it's a bass. Usually, you, you got to have a huge <laughs> triangular, yeah. thick pick. <laughs> when I hear someone play acoustic guitar with a big, with a with a thick pick and like a small body guitar, to me, that's one of the best sounds I've ever heard live, at least. And it almost seems like it's maybe like an inverse. As the string gets bigger, as the whatever, that attack, you're you're bending your pitch more. You're not mm-hmm. like. The more you're doing this, the more and the harder you're doing this, the more your pitch is just fluctuating and it doesn't True. sound as in tune. Like sometimes when I was doing studio stuff, I would auto tune my bass to a pitch so that it feels more consistent and then mix that with a synth or something like that. Oh, like interesting. that that would be one of my go to because mm. it's just it floats so much. With the with the felt pick, it's not for everything, but if it's like mm. You know, you play different when you play with a pick. Like, there's certain things you articulate different. If you want that feel, but it's like a ballad and it's dark or whatever, yeah. and you don't want that pitch jump, I, the the felt pick is cool, but I would never use it live. Uh, oh, gosh, there it goes. Uh, there it goes. But in the studio, it's 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 pretty cool. Dwayne Lundy turned me on to that. It'd be a tough, uh, a tough sell live. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, you would, not, you would miss the nuance. Yeah. You just yeah. So speaking of that, like, seems like a lot of your tone choices are trending darker. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had any conversations with your front of house guy, or is he is he asking you to brighten it up, or what? What do you do? What do, What do you do to counteract some of the darkness that gets lost in a live setting? Great question. So one way that I counteract it is is uh are y'all familiar with brown amplification that pedal company mm-hmm. the protein pedal which is the dual drive oh cool That's, okay i highly recommend checking them out they're amazing that pedal is insane uh and it on my pedal board that's the one that never i never change it out um it's so on the left it's a there's like a blue and a green side the green side is uh a copy of like the nobles odr1 the nashville overdrive and the blue side is always forget uh it might be blues breaker might be uh forget what the circuit is but something that he did it's a guitar pedal but something he did internally is he put a low output i forget it's a, it's either low output or high output transformer that basically allows for more low end to pass through and consequently is a very good uh drive pedal for bass mm. and the blue nice. side i keep on at all times and i've got the tone for that at three o'clock so i'm adding lots of uh tone for this particular circuit with not a it's not a ton of gain the blue side's low gain the green side's uh higher gain excuse me and so i'm just adding a little bit i'm adding brightness and i'm adding a little bit of grit not that much Mm -hmm. so that kind of gets the snap the and the more just the i would say it's more of a presence boost than it is like a, a top boost um so i do that and then uh my my signal chain is uh i i kind of went for it on on this cycle um i'm trying to think if i could how i could even show this to you i i'm run i have basically two uh sins to front of house Mm -hmm. um one is so my guitar goes into 
Brown amplification also makes a thing called the fixer, which is a buffer that's got two outputs, one to a tuner, and then just a regular output. Nice. So that's the first thing. So I go into the into the fixer, out of the fixer into uh, if you're familiar with Lele, L E H L E, a little their P split uh, splitter. So into that, out of the splitter goes directly into a Getty Lee Sans Amp rack unit that. Uh, nice. using the deep channel that nice. goes into an audioscape 1176 compressor and that goes to front of house so that, that's uh, just like that's amazing untouched untouched clean deep low low yeah and yeah, that's yeah. like so he's got that at front of house and then and then just uh, to be clear for anyone list, like that is not a pedal that's a legitimate 1176 recreation a full yes. rack giddy lee money let me see I'm, i might be able to to show you because i've got it sitting right next to me in my studio oh yes look at this let's see yeah there it is oh so, beautiful nice that right there is what was sitting on my amp next to my bass head um every night on tour um and whenever i started think well to make a long story short i got the sans amp and the 1176 i intended it to keep it in my studio and mm-hmm. brother and like a week before rehearsal started, I was having a conversation with Scott and I was like, man, I really, I'm excited, you know, maybe one of these days to like really upgrade my live rig. And then I came home and I was just staring at the yeah. Sands Amp 1176 in my rack. And I was like, I just bought those. I could just take them on tour. Yeah. So it was a pretty big game changer. Just yeah. definitely for in-ears. Um, and our front of house, Michael Lewis, he's a g he actually him and will mixed our live record if oh, you ever want to go just yeah, i mean he's great. he does a lot of studio mixing work as well but front of how like live mm-hmm. he's he's a wizard mm-hmm. um and he had never been complaining prior to me making this switch he'd never been he's never told me like dude i really wish or i really need yeah uh-huh. less of or more of this i'd always been like you know he's he's taken care of as far as bass is concerned and so whenever i told him like hey i'm gonna upgrade my whole situation he was like dude that's tight we can get super you know nerdy that's what you want you want someone else to take that interest too you know yes so i anyway so first signal path like i said guitar uh bass goes into the fixer into the split Sans amp 1176 front of house clean being just low boy just mm. And then uh, the other side of the splitter goes just to the rest of my pedals, which is I got a bare barefoot effects Queen Beast fuzz, the uh, Brown amps Protein Overdrive, uh, Walrus Audio Polychrome flanger, which is pretty cool, and then Walrus Audio R1 Mako series reverb, and then that finishes out into the Walrus Audio Badwater DI. So I don't know, guys. The, the Badwater is a fantastic bass DI pedal. Um, mm-hmm. It's got onboard compression, onboard drive, and then low, low, mid, high, mid, high nice. uh, EQ. And the low, mid, and high, mid, you've got sweepable um, frequency. Oh, sweet. Um, and I, I was using this uh, RNDI, Rupert Neve yeah. um, DI. Love it. This Fans. was my DI on the board for forever. And then uh i tried out the bad water thinking there's i mean i love the walrus audio guys but i I was like 
how is it going to beat out a Neve? Right. Uh, and it has not left my board since. This That's was wonderful. Nice. Going on over a year, year and a half, two years. So uh, anyway, that then that's the we I kind of call it the like wet effects sin mm -hmm. for base. So you've got the 1176 clean bean and then you've got uh, the petals going out. So he's, you know, makes it able to blend the two. Yeah. And what what he's doing at front of house is the pedal board send. He's got a very aggressive low cut on it. So it's almost okay. like my drive and stuff is just like a top boost. Yep. Sitting on top of the bed of the, nice. the That's low, wonderful. low sans amp. Um, and definitely in like on in-ears, I mean, it was kind of night and day. It kind of sounded like, oh, that's a good signal path to like, that's that sounds pro. Yeah, um, that's So great. I was really, really happy to just kind of go ahead and make that jump to yeah. increase. I mean, who knows? Uh, one of the weirdest things is that I'll never be able to see a Colony House show. So I don't really know <laughs> what it sounds like and feels like, you know, out there. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that's why you hire I, a pro. He, like that's that's, hire, bro. that's that's you know especially if he's mixed your live record too you know that he's hit your vibe and that like mm -hmm. he's going for that vibe every time that you exactly. play a show anywhere like that's a you know that's a trustworthy because in our in our current situation you know um, Nick tours with a, well we both tour with a country artist and mm -hmm. we're not at the point where we're bringing a front of house engineer and so you're sure. kind of at the mercy you can't really do. Mm -hmm you can't really give up that power of giving them like a two, like a split signal, a dirty and a clean or whatever. Cause right. you know that they're just going to take the clean and they're going to not right. really, you know, you maybe too dirty signal. and then they're not going to put it. Right. And, and, <laughs> right. And at a certain time that's, you know, it's fine, but you just kind of got to, you got to know what you're into, but like having someone who really cares about it, may, maybe as much or more than you do and can nerd out with you. Like that's, that's such a huge piece of bass tone live that, Dude, you know, for sure. Every, everybody's going to want to like, once you experience it, you're like, this is the best thing ever. Like having a yep. sound mm -hmm. guy you can trust um, on your, just cause I'm going to nerd about studio stuff. You're 1176. How are you hitting that? Like 1176 is super clean, but adds a little bit of distortion, fun artifacting and, and everywhere, all, all everywhere on the attack, is mm. pretty fast yep. but that doesn't mean you have to go as fast as it are you are you using it kind of on a slower attack or is it like really really quick hitting it or what's your attack doing, release like uh just because of how the setup was mm -hmm. i was actually doing a slower attack and a pretty slow release as well yeah cool um mainly because specific i mean so jazz bass has the tomastic flat wounds P-Base has the half rounds. Uh -huh. uh, so I was kind of wanting to get as much uh, just kind of extra sustain that yeah. it could give me. Right. And seeing as how it wasn't affecting kind of, we'll call it the top boost, the like, you know, the pedal send. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was, that slow release was kind of the key for me to be able to kind of just like not for the longer notes and stuff to just, not feel like it was dying out. And I was also, right. I was kind of, uh the output from the sans amp basically i was running it to where the input was kind of low and the output was a little bit higher so i wasn't really adding too much too much color uh -huh. um 
but yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was just that, like that once I kind of, and it was kind of like halfway into tour that I was like tweaking stuff that I switched to a slower release. It was a pretty fast release uh, um, at the beginning. And then I was like, we kind of had a little nerd out session, one sound check where we had some extra time and both Michael and myself were like, this feels better. Yeah. Um, which nice. intuitively I wouldn't have suspected to be the right move, but yeah. for how we're running it, it, it worked, it worked really well. Man, that's awesome. Have you had any reliability issues with bringing a studio piece live and then also setting it on a vibrating bass cab? Um, luckily, no um awesome. i mean we just did that whole tour and i brought it back uh and i used it on a session on monday um and everything was good something i did do is i put some some decent uh not decent some high quality foam underneath the 1176 and also in between the 76 and the sand zamp just to like cool have it be not just as immovable as possible uh-huh. um yep. and i mean it this this little uh, rack unit uh, has a good case as mm-hmm. well. And there was only, I think there was only two shows where the stage was rumbling so much that like we had to tape, <laughs> we had to freaking tape it to the, so most shows I had my bass cab on its uh, like horizontal uh-huh. um, on the ground. And so it'd just be like bass head right here. And then uh, 76 right there next to uh-huh. it. There's a couple of shows we had to just gaff it to the amp so it wouldn't fall off. But yeah, <laughs> that's I didn't amazing. Have, I mean, knock on wood, I didn't have any issues. Uh, I awesome. I was that's really uh, skeptical at first, not because I didn't believe in either piece of gear, but more just like, you know, uh, who. Uh, so actually, Chad was telling us this was when we were still recording the record. He was telling us how a buddy of his years ago uh, was like friends with one of the text for u2 and u2 is playing i think somewhere in oklahoma and they got to chad and his buddy got to go just like walk around the stage like underneath the stage backstage and it's like you know adam clayton's got like two full racks of outboard gear that his stuff is going through obviously the edge has you know freaking warehouse full of shit that it's going through uh same with bono um and i remember thinking like wow what who knows when we'll get to the point where I'll, you know, any of us will be bringing out yeah. outboard gear. And uh-huh. that's, it was, that was the thought that triggered, like, I just bought some. Why, why, why couldn't I take this out of the room? Yeah, we have, yeah. like, we've got racks, we've got cases, like, and it was kind of, it kind of made me, uh, it broke down the, the kind of fourth wall barrier where it's like, no, you, not until you're like a big boy, like, wait until the big dogs play. It's like, <laughs> Screw you! I'm a big dog. Like, yeah, I can bring. I'm this a out big the dog, road. man. <laughs> like, I, no I'm negative self talk for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just I don't know. It, I again very happy with the the sound. Very happy that everything's working. Knock on wood. That's awesome. Uh, and I don't. I don't intend on uh, like. I, I'm I'm going to only add to my rig. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not going to get any smaller. I don't think. Love nice. that. Always love that. That's I've only heard good things about the audioscape stuff. Um, I've got a couple orders in with Stam Audio for some studio stuff that I'm interested oh, in checking sick. out. Um, but uh, audioscape seems to be you know an American made alternative, um, and they seem to be doing really really great work. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got turned on to them uh, 
buddy of mine, producer who lives just five minutes away from me, he got, uh, I forget, one of their compressors. He started singing their praises. And then uh, I have consistently, the more that I'm talking to other engineers and producers around town and just through the grapevine across the nation, more and more guys are like, this is the company that's doing it right. Like yeah. warm audio, they're great, especially for the price point. But, right. but kind of they're watch out audio scapes coming for them yeah um, and they should you know they should all the warm stuff's yeah. designed in texas but it's you know it's made overseas and they right. you, you do get the price benefit of that and so it's really great if you you know are on a budget right and then you know someone who who's also has a studio in the backyard you you get it and you're like oh man drum set okay that's a lot of inputs and then you're like man i want to compress oh wait I have one eleven seventy six, and I've got twelve right. inputs of drums. Right, crap. You know, like yeah, yep. like there's a total valid place for it. But um, you're right. Like the audio stuff seems more premium, a little bit more well regarded. Um, and it seems like some of the warm stuff. There's certain things that are like absolutely fantastic, not replica, replicatable. Gosh, I, mm -hmm. I said that so bad. Uh, I like it, but. Uh, yeah, it, it it's it, there's certain hit or miss hit or miss things about warm. Um, to me, like I'd love to bring the warm 1176 on tour with us, just because it's like if it goes down, I may I might only be out six or seven hundred bucks instead of right. out you know twelve hundred. But I'm also touring in a van, and it's a lot tighter, and I I really can't take any of those things <laughs> right now. Yeah, um, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, with your with your rig setup, what's your amplifier head and cabinet? Uh so Tyler Amps um Sweet. make made. I don't think they're still actively making bass amps, but they years ago they made this uh it's like it's a clone of the It's a B15 clone. I think I've seen you use it. Well, so I used to use that. Oh, okay. Uh, this one is uh modeled after an orange and i'm gonna freaking forget which model uh orange makes some insane bass heads mm -hmm. uh or bass amps just in general yeah. uh whatever kind of the big boy one is uh-huh this tyler amps was modeled after that nice. so it's an eight by ten cab and then this this uh yeah orange Beautiful. od no some i forget what it was called um i don't even know if this Tyler one has a model name. If I'm yeah. being honest, I think it's just like you know, just says Tyler Amps on it. But it's been uh, the way that I'm running everything live. The amp is literally only there for stage volume. It's right. just to feel the rumble. Um, mm -hmm. So whether I mean I've loved this amp, but it, it'll. I'm interested to see if there will be an amp in my future that will make me want to like. Mic it? Use a signal from that. Right, yeah. yeah. Mic it. Uh, nine times out of ten, sorry, ten times out of ten, miking a, uh, playing bass through a guitar amp and miking that sounds about a million times cooler than miking a bass amp, in yeah. my opinion. Mainly yeah. because, and I mean, in the early days, uh, let's think about this, Twenty circa 2013, I, I have a side project band called Young Villains, and when we were recording, I got super... You know, I was like, ooh, I'm going to get a DI from the bass. I'm going to mic the bass amp and I'm going to do, a, I forget what the third thing was, but I had three signals coming from it. And I was like, 
anytime I go back and like solo all the channels, much like a uh, front of house at a country uh, show, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm not using those. I'm just going to use this one. Right. But every time yeah. that I've plugged a bass through a guitar amp, there's just something uh, inherent. I'll say it this way. Clean DI signal uh, is is what it is. Like mm-hmm. it is moldable and you have all the low end that you need. And yep. so to have a second, mm-hmm. uh, you know, send, the question then remains like, it's it's got to be cool enough to use. So yeah. where are we going to get that character from? Obviously yep. the, like I was describing earlier, my, my, wet effects top boost signal for front yeah. of house it's the same concept. because you're cutting out all, all those lows it's pretty it, it gives a interesting flavor yep and a similar thing would be done with a guitar amp uh obviously since they don't have as much low in mm-hmm. you get the same kind of vibe and then you know especially if it's like a benson or like a vintage fender or something like that that's worth that's worth capturing yep. but miking a bass amp I mean, we did that actually on the Tour de Compadres 2015. We were opening up for Need to Breathe and I was doing the Tyler Amps B15 uh-huh. and we were, I had the DI send uh, and we were miking the cab. And because that B15 honestly doesn't have a lot of low end, it worked. It yep. was, it was cool. Um, what were you miking it with? Yeah. It's, at that point, it was either uh, a Beta 52 or... Dude, actually, maybe it was a fifty-seven. Now that I think, sick, yeah. yeah. I was just yeah. going to just you want to sound like a guitar, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's what I think that's what we did. If my memory, no, uh, sick. Brent just posted a video on one of his riff things, or, or maybe he posted it shortly after, and it was his SVT, practically flat but dimed, and and maybe he was in the bright input, and then on one of his speakers, he's like, I just use a fifty-seven. Just use a 57. Yeah. Uh, and we had Jimbo I'm, Hart from Jason Isbell's band who's like, yeah, I just make my my Ashdown 810 with a 57 because it sounded the best in my ears. Yeah. Like, I like, always say the people's the mic. You know, it's the, the, it's the great, great equalizer. Dude, <laughs> I mean, tri- tried and true, it just continues to find, its, find itself on top. It just wins exactly. all the time. It does. It does. Uh, yeah, back to what you said earlier about putting the foam under your rack. I I had done a bunch of that stuff too because I had actually shook in the trailer. I was carrying a six piece rack, uh, just like a Demeter. Mm-hmm. I was actually carrying a DBX one sixty eight, the people's compressor, oh, the people's uh, compressor, the people's, people's compressor. compressor. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, I was carrying just like a little rack setup, and I was sending my my two lines because we were we. I was traveling with the front of house at that point, and that's great. So I was sending them a super dirty from actually. I have a VT base sand amp, which is Dude. similar. Very similar to and, the Getty Lee, and and has and has an immaculate vibe. I've I've never owned one. I've used one, and it's very very tight. They're oddly really really cool. So I was sending uh, like a really dirty, like I'm like a crushed sick yeah. send from that, and then I was sending a clean from a from a Demeter. But long story short, I had after a, I think it was a year and change of just did I don't know. I love to hear your input on this, but Tennessee roads or West Virginia roads are just like the two worst mm. things, and I feel like I wasn't on another state's roads more than those two states yeah. just playing country yeah. music at the, you know, state fairs and the, and the honky tonks. Uh, of course. and it just shook it, dude. And I had to send my Demeter, uh, just to California to get basically it reassembled, like Dang. push things down, knock it, knock it back down. So there's now like hot glue in there and everything, but foam, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what you got to do, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I truly, the, the roads are depending on how well you're, 
stuff is just kind of contained and then in cases and then how good the pack is. Mm-hmm. And then on to, like, if all three of those things are kind of, yeah, it's all right. And then you add on top of that super bumpy roads mm-hmm. recipe for disaster. Luck- yeah. Luckily, I think I said this before, but like, you know, I, that's why on the front end, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to like put yeah. all my effort into putting this foam in here. It's just because I was like, I don't, I want the least amount of possible, possibility for any of this stuff to shake more than it has to um and uh honestly something i should probably get in the habit of doing which i haven't done yet is post post tour kind of just like going through all my pedals whatever Uh gear i took and just being like i'm either myself opening it up or you know just checking to make sure that like are you good are you good are you good you know (laughs) yeah um i i I haven't done that in the past and probably would be a smart thing to do. There's a weird um, film of dust that is like club specific that coats my gear. (laughs) And I'm like, this isn't like house dust and this isn't dirt. I don't know what you are, but it's always coating my stuff in like the club scene specifically. Were you guys in only clubs or did you ever do any outdoor dates? Because when you mix the two, it's just like a concoction. Luckily, we didn't do any outdoor dates. Only I don't even know why I'm saying luckily. Uh, most of the venues we played, like we did a lot of House of Blues, uh, and then I mean we had we had a, the good fortune to play a lot of great spots on this tour. Uh-huh. Um, in the past, you know, like she's 2021 tour. This is I'll say this one example. 2021, back before you know it, tour, we played five count them five shows in Florida. Love Florida, love y'all. Um, it's a lot of shows in Florida yeah. and most of them were like 300 cap rooms or 500 cap rooms. Um, and yes, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a dust, there's a film, there's a, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there's also humidity there. So you get the double whammy. True. There's, there's something extra murky in the air in clubs, even if it's the dopest club. Yeah. Shout out to the Eastern in Atlanta. It's Amazing not a, space. Not a cleanliness thing. It's not a cleanliness thing. It's just there. It's just rock and roll in the right. air and yeah. it just mm-hmm. is heavy and it falls on your gear. And yep. then like, <laughs> it's funny because it is resistant to compressed air. Like you got to take a toothbrush. <laughs> right. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, why was I talking about Florida? Oh, I was just saying Florida on this. T- so last year we did five shows. This time we did one show mm-hmm. and everybody from all those other five, you know, four cities migrated and it was like oh we should do this everywhere where we normally play like three <laughs> shows in one state let's yeah. do one and see if everyone shows up um but that was that was a a, a good part of this tour that's uh, awesome. there's another i was going to say something else about the dust what was i going to say oh dude i don't know what it is maybe it's just because it was a natural finish on my p base no because it was an aftermarket neck the neck on my p base let me see if I can show you is like, I have to get in the habit of cleaning this thing mid tour. I don't even know if you'll really be able to see any of it, but like if you see this gunk right here, it's hiding all across. Oh, (laughs) there's more. And when your hands get sweaty, it just like stops. Uh. Anyway. I need that's the one thing that I I probably hate the most about the murkiness in a club is what it does to that only that base. Yeah, that that's funny. It's just like <laughs> I think he does this, but I do it for sure because I, you know, I always 
Especially there's some shows that I'll I'll be like, you know, wrapping cables or whatever and not have time to wash my hands in between playing like sound check oh, and gosh, like yeah. throwing some cables mm-hmm. down at like, I don't know, the Missouri State Fair. So I'll do that and I always have this gross whatever on the back, but I always keep uh like like Scotch Bride or like Brilla pads. And yeah. that usually does it for me, but yours might be a different kind of it usually takes care of what I need to. I think you do that as well, I, right? Well, I don't take one with me, but I try to I take as much finish off all of the necks as I can get away with. Um, yeah, so I use mine as maintenance. My main base is a vintage Yamaha BB5000. And oh, it's it's a fantastic instrument, but it being a neck through base, uh, you know, it's got the gloss. It's got a gloss finish because it was just when people were not doing nitro right. anymore. So it's got a gloss finish all the way through the back of the neck. And I hated that. And yeah. so like, if you look at the back of my neck of my, precious instrument now luckily when i got it someone already started doing it and so Mm -hmm. i didn't have to feel bad about taking a vintage instrument and just like you know all down Mm -hmm. it sandpaper but like if you look at it it's like shiny 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 matte shiny shiny like you know that's that's my (laughs) yeah that it's just but the scotch bright pads yeah yeah so with the touring stuff this is kind of the dilemma i'm at because i have a a bass that i love very much um I, do you bring your main bases on tour with you, flying, all that kind of stuff? Have you had any mishaps? Flying's the real kicker. That's what we talk Man, about a lot. flying scares me so much. Uh, I have a crazy I, SKB that I can put it under the plane now, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, what do you do? I'm always nervous. Yeah, what do you do? I've always... Yes to basically all the questions. Yeah. Uh, my P base and jazz base are my main bases. Yeah. Uh, they're always on the road. Um, I have yet to do a fly date now that i've got my jazz bass because uh, uh my my gut i i have mono bags uh-huh. for for well, my for you my live in nashville so of course <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh, but they they have they have stood the test of time i will say this. no they're great i hate i hate the way they look but uh they no. they do their job like they should we're both yeah. mono um, guys too so we're we're yeah. part of the yeah. team. i'm using a gig bag that's what i'm using for sure yeah anyway yeah. right sorry, now your mono bags I haven't I haven't had any um I mean no horror stories for me as far as like you know TSA doing anything I, but but that's I almost if I'm flying with a base it is touching me and me only I'm not giving it to an agent there's been times where I've gate checked it and it's been fine sometimes um, you have to usually yeah. sometimes you have to and honestly gate checking is a million times better than um than if you were to actually you know check it fully yeah. under the plane even even if you have like a dope dope case like caleb you know the one horror story i can think of wasn't base it was caleb flew with uh one of his dad's like big big boy like foamed out perfect ca- like case for an mm-hmm. acoustic like that thing in that case is indestructible and somehow the, a crack uh happened in that uh mm-hmm. after this one trip and I, I was just like i don't think it's ever worth especially with an acoustic guitar yeah uh i don't think it's ever worth it to put that under but like mm. i mean basses are just <laughs> when I, the, okay the end quick story time the end of 2014's <laughs> when i was younger tour my first tour with the boys um we've we ended that tour by spending three days at south by southwest um so you play a long tour and then you go play South by and I will confidently say till the day that I die and advise 
no band should ever do that. That is just the worst way to end a tour by <laughs> yeah. playing more shows. Man, in South by is, is hectic. South South by is hectic. South by is great for all of its own reasons. Anyway, by the time we got to those South by shows and the, you know, the, sh- the ones we were playing, the showcases were like pretty crappy. And I was, uh, Something that I brought early on to our to the live show was I moved around a whole lot more than the other bass player. So I was uh-huh. just like, I was rocking and rolling, headbanging. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm throwing my bass at the end of every set. So <laughs> I literally, at South By, end of the set, I would just chuck it. And I remember the first time that I did it afterwards, Caleb was like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's the bass, man. Like, like yeah. chucking it on the ground. Fine. Like, this thing, this, this is... This thing has ha- had much worse. Like, throw it on the ground. Straight. Uh, I don't do that anymore. It was very silly of me. Uh, but my whole point in doing it was like, dude, these things are pretty tough. Uh, totally. Luck- luckily, uh, back to like flying, you know, it's it hasn't I haven't had any issues yet. And that's I think most of that has to do with like, you know, it's me and me alone that's touching that thing unless it has to get Kate checked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never but, uh, yeah. successfully gotten my. Now I've only probably done it two or three times. Well, I sh- I shouldn't make this blanket statement because the other times I flew Allegiant with a base, but with Allegiant Ooh. it was cheaper to get another ticket than to add a bag. What? So I strapped it in the yeah Allegiant. So oh. weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like a sixty or seventy dollar ticket. Like that's. But that's what they do, man. They'll charge you seventy bucks for a bag. It's it was cheaper to get a seat. That is wild. Uh, because wait, it, so you, you know, couldn't you couldn't put it up in the the thing? Uh, I didn't even try because I had I'm purchased sure. it a seat. So like, why would I? You know. But the, <laughs> she rides with me. <laughs> the other times I've flown with my base, I've always been forced to gate check it. Um, really. With, with that being said, um, this bass player Adam Neely, who has a great YouTube channel like last night posted a video about flying with bases that I feel like it's the most comprehensive and relatable that I've ever seen because he did a bunch of international stuff. They're not necessarily glamorously touring like, and they're, they're an electronic heavy and base, whatever. All that to say, there was a little tip in there that I didn't expect. I think is a great idea that he said, if he had to gate check his instrument, he, he waits until a person is there and he tips them. He gives them five or ten bucks. And I was thinking about that. I was like, genius. Why didn't I think of that? Dude, I'm just, it's so funny because I'm on the other side where I'm like, I don't take bases that I like, love, love. Like, I mean, I Mm. like my bases, but if they got snapped in half, I'd buy another American P base. Like, it's nothing special. Uh, One day. You don't know what love's like. I... (laughs) I might not. With bass, I might not. I know I got a Rick, but she stays at home. So uh, uh, yeah, you don't take a Rick on the road. Well, she's been on the road and Oh Ricky. Oh Ricky. <laughs> she turns heads too, but it's terrifying uh the whole yeah, time. So my goal, my dream, right, is to play so we were doing this fly fly date in Las Vegas and I couldn't get this case in time. So I thought they got a guitar center, dude. Like, why don't I just buy it and return it? You know what I mean? It's like the free rental. But I'm just not a gear snob at all. I'm like, it's got wow. a couple strings. Like, I, I it'd be fun. It'll I work. Think, I think the story would be way, way worth the process and lack of your own. So would you ever? Did you actually do it? No, but oh, okay. I will. I 100% will. Bro? I 
Bobby. I'd do it. I'd do it. You could buy something nice too, dude. You could go get the. I mean, it, it, that Vegas it's guitar singer's got a nice room, man. They got a, <laughs> they got a nice room. I mean, you could go get something real nice. Say, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I mean, that would make for a pretty solid YouTube video. Is uh, for, the next, for the next ten, you know, for ten shows, I flew into the city, you know, bought and returned, uh, and you like go. Th- you have to run the gamut of all the brands, though. Yeah, so it's right. Like, yeah, you know, show number one, it's got to be Yamaha. Show number two, it's yeah. got to be Ibanez. Show mm-hmm. number three, Fender Ernie Ball. <laughs> Ooh, yes. I'm playing this you sound know, gear. <laughs> came with his amp. <laughs> uh, can I? Can we speak real fast just to base brands? Yeah, um, I have only. I've only ever owned minus this Veritas base that I have. I've only ever owned um, Fender bases. Yep. And not because I have anything against any other brand, but when I think, when I when I, when I close my eyes and someone says bass guitar, what do y'all see? I I probably see see a P bass. I mean, you yeah you you definitely. Do. I mean, Leo Fender invented the bass clef, so I mean it makes sense that it you would see. I'm just kidding. No he no it. <laughs> yeah, it's Fender. It's Fender. I'd probably see a Fender. But like one of my best friends and probably the baseball player I look up to the most is named Randall Scruggs. He uh he had he had uh had oh of course I'm not gonna remember exactly the, I mean, he's got an Ernie ball and it's insanely cool Dude, how yes. what mm-hmm. he does with it but like anytime that I pick it up I feel lost which oh. is very silly. Like I don't I don't feel really lost. I'm more just I look at it, I'm like something about this doesn't feel right yeah to me. Uh-huh. Um do y'all have any brands, not 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 even aversions, but like, does that happen to you when you pick up, say, you know, uh, a GNL or a Lakeland or you know, just is there any bass that every time you like it's a good bass, but when you pick it up, you're like, man, it's not for me. Don't know why. Do you want to take it? You, I I I play a five. So my Yamaha is the first is the first mass produced five string. It was kind of like a test run. And so they, they took mm-hmm. a, they took their widest four string neck and they put five strings on it. So the string spacing is tight, very tight, abnormally mm-hmm. tight, uncomfortably yeah. tight. And I love say. it. Like I am so sold out to it. So if I pick up any other conventional five string, I, f- I'm, I'm out. I'm usually out, out. especially, yeah. especially five Lakeland. They seem uh, a five Lakeland, Lakeland, and a five Fender try to go even farther in the string spacing, and so I'm just kind of lost. I would say the other one is like I don't, I haven't used a Rick enough. Like it feels like a like a different beast to me. It doesn't feel like home. He's just hating on my bases. No, <laughs> oh, I actually did call out both of your bases. No, I'm sorry. The music Man has a little tighter string spacing for their fives. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm very into a music man, uh, even though I'm not usually an active pickup guy anymore. Now I'll play anything and I won't think about it. I I can't get it. I can't get by with yeah. this, but if you gave me an afternoon, I'd have a good time, you know? <laughs> I feel like a fish out yeah, of water yeah. most times, so I just play whatever. <laughs> I love, no, I think that's better. That's a better answer. No, that's dude, not my answer, I've but got it's such a better a, answer. I've got such a weird take on gear anyways, but I've got, I mean, I've got a couple and they're all so different and- yeah. Now I just want to start getting the weird stuff. I want like a, yes. a Thunderbird so bad. Oh, I, I'd dude, love to I was have just thinking Thunderbird. about Thunderbird. I, I, I'm really interested so in bad. finding a Thunderbird, uh, and also the Gibson Grabber. Oh yes. my gosh, the Grabber the and Ripper grabber. both. Yes. I'm like, yeah. I want, yeah. I want the full Gibson collection. Yeah, for yeah. and you know it'd be the most inconvenient 
three bases to ever own. Yeah, I mean, it would be horrible. It's just, instant vibe, though. Instant vibe. Yes. Like, dude. Like, one of those things that makes you play different. Yeah, but because like, of its quirks. Also, I do love those tones, though. Like, yeah, there's there are certain bands that when I think of those basses and they play them, like for instance, I don't know if you guys know this band, um, Pet Symmetry. Do you know this band, Pet yeah. Symmetry? He's on a he's on a grabber and he does like power chords and stuff. Oh, and I'm like, that's tied. Oh man, it just sings. And then mm. obvi- the obvious Thunderbird of a boy who grew up. Through the 2000s and 2010s, like in early indie rock, the Kings of Leon. I was going to say Kings dude. of Leon. Dude, of course. I can't. Like, it's have such it. good tone. Uh, Jared. Uh, Followell. Followell, yeah. It's such good tone, dude. Man, his lot. Another, like, another grabber, uh, big influence bass player for me, uh, and just th- this band was Thrice. Um, oh, big Thrice oh, cool. guy. Yeah. Okay. Dude, big. I was a big Thrice guy. And uh, what's his... Riley Breckenridge, uh, the two, the drummer and the bass player were the brothers. I forget which one. I think mm-hmm. Riley's the bass player. There, there's some pretty gnarly tones you can get with that grabber. Yeah. Um, but I've never, yeah, I've never had the the. I almost traded something for a grabber one time, and then the guy backed out last minute, and I was super mad. Well, um, you, how it goes. you better let me know if you get in a bidding war on eBay because it might be me on the other end. So let's not drive <laughs> up the price for each right. other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's, that's hilarious, stuff. man. Yeah. Um. Are, are y'all cool? Uh, I, I probably got ten more minutes. No, it's fine. Too. We could we yeah. can okay, wrap so it up we'll here. Wrap, yeah, we'll wrap. Uh, you know, at the end, I always do love if you got any recommendations for us, music wise, something we need to know about, gear wise, pedal wise, movies. Sure. TV shows, Dude. whatever you want. What's um, got you? Gear, gear wise. I mean, I I know I've already uh, pumped them a bunch, but like the Audioscape stuff yep. is yeah next level. Um, the Walrus Audio Badwater DI continues to impress me, uh, specifically for bass. The Brown Amplification Protein pedal is, uh, in my opinion, a, a must in a bassist's arsenal for just incredible usability for drive uh, live and in studio Um, music wise, some stuff I've been getting into. um, I don't know if y'all saw this this morning, but Foo Fighters did just announce a new record. They dropped a song. That's big. I haven't heard it yet. Obviously the question that's on everyone's mind is who's playing drums. RIP Taylor Uh, Hawkins, but surely Dave's uh, playing drums on the record, right? Well, that's the question i don't know (laughs) who but who knows because like so i i saw a rumor or read a rumor that uh for these upcoming shows that they're going to be doing like they're playing a bunch of festivals uh they're playing bonnaroo the night after we play bonnaroo so you oh i'm playing dollar i'm gonna be there that's you're you're gonna be a bonnaroo yep we're playing uh her name's abby hamilton we're playing outaroo at the campgrounds and then we're playing the who's who stay or the who who stage on sunday Outer room. Sick. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll be around, so we should link up. I would um, love to. The uh, I was going to say, uh, there's a rumor going around that there's two different drummers that are going to be going out, like kind of switching off mm. for those shows. Uh, Adam Willard from um, Angels and Airwaves, and then uh. <laughs> something McPherson. I forget the la- the guy's first name, but unconfirmed, not confirmed. Uh, um, Honestly, my gut was like, surely it's going to be Josh Freeze because that guy's a beast. I That's don't know, what did you I guys had watched heard. the Taylor Hawkins tribute. I did not. Uh, I've too. seen bits and pieces, but I have heard somebody else say that Josh Freeze was what they were thinking. Josh Freeze. So, I mean, that whole tribute concert was like was super long, and I had the opportunity to watch all of it, uh, which oh, I was glad for. But like, 
of all the time of all the performances where it was the foo playing uh they had a number of different drummers seth um hawkins taylor's son is what mm-hmm. closed out the night playing my hero and it was pretty special i bet um and i think i think they mentioned i think they said that maybe whenever he kind of gets older that like the he may end up drumming with them That'd but be amazing. Mm-hmm. josh freeze very clearly was the standout drummer uh performing at that tribute concert anyway we don't interesting more about nice that. um now, is the angels so, and airways guy is that spelled like i l l a elon alan Ruben. Oh, okay. So or, Elon Ruben did stuff with them, but Adam spelled A T O M oh, Willard. Adam. Okay. Adam Willard uh is is the this one rumor that I saw. Right. I mean rumors, so who knows? But Elon would be I mean that guy. Elon I was about Ruben to say I have been obsessed with his nine inch nails drumming for a minute. Oh, dude. Especially like yes. when you get him and Pino playing for Nine Inch Nails. Gosh. Holy yep. moly. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the new Joe record, DJO. Joe is awesome. Oh, yeah. You, you, I put him on Joe. Joe. Yeah. Uh, the, the Decide record. I forget yes. actually when it came out, but that record's amazing. It's, production-wise, um, is phenomenal. It is unbelievable. It's amazing. Uh, have y'all ever listened to a band called Twin T W E N? Uh-uh. They're like kind of an underground Nashville. Um, nice. Like, not not. I, I was gonna say rock and roll band, but like it's pretty mid tempo, pretty like not too intense. They're super cool. Twin. We'll check um, it out. Let's see who else here. Uh, there's a whole lot of the Cars movie soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> my son is obsessed with that. What uh, a fun time. Dude, uh, life is a highway. It is. Let's go. I mean, that's Lizzie McAlpine, super cool. Sure. Mm. Um, nice. And then there was something else that I feel like recently. I'm just trying to find it. Where did it go? Did y'all ever listen to uh, Boxer Rebellion? Uh huh. Uh -uh. They're they're no longer a band. Go check out all their their stuff though. The the Union album is amazing. That's massive influence on early Colony House. Nice. Oh, okay, um, good to know. And then I'm a I'm a ooh the new the new M83 record Fantasy. Oh, yeah, there's gosh. I mean it's Justin lots Mel of slow Johnson. burn songs. Yeah, oh. lots of slow burn songs, but in like the best way. But they wrote the if book on slow burn, just, dude. If you if you just want to listen to something with a nice sunset and a glass of whiskey uh-huh. and just kind of experience something wild. Put that, put that yeah, they I have listened to that one. It, it is very good. Nice, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for uh, for having a chat with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks We're honored, on. honored you're here. Absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, we will uh, uh, let's steal a pedal board board photo from you at some point yeah we'll throw it up well, on there. so we can throw it up when we're talking about that but besides that man uh, it's good to talk to you it's good to meet you thanks again yeah absolutely thanks yeah. so much for coming on Thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. And cool. real quick, we did we got this dumb thing. Uh, we always talk about Noble preamps, and I oh, think we gosh. mentioned the company earlier. But Stop. I just had to talk about the way that they're not paying us, but we're evangelizing it like it's a religion. So uh, uh, shout out Noble. There we are. Love that. Yeah, we, man. Love that. We have a, we have a quota where it has to come up in every. Uh, it has essential. to come up in every. I'm shocked it didn't come point. up. You, we've never Jeez, had to plug but it. You made it. That was pretty on the nose. <laughs> yep, had to had to do it. So man, thanks a bunch. All right, see you. Right, thank you guys. Talk to you later.